it only needs to be about two to 10 minutes in duration. And ideally, if you can take that walk within about 60 to 90 minutes of eating, it can have a really potent effect on your glycemic control. Women Like You, the podcast for women who hate working out but know they should. I'm Gab, I'm an audio producer and journalist. And I'm Sarah, I'm a GP and I work in fertility and women's health. And we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're on today and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Now, we've always been told never to exercise after a big meal, to wait two to three hours after eating before doing a workout. In fact, we literally talked about this on the pod recently because a strenuous workout too soon after eating can interfere with digestion. But what if we told you that there's really good evidence to support going for a short walk straight after a meal? Yeah, this is something that's come up a fair bit recently. I've seen lots of articles about it. I've listened to different people talk about it on different podcasts over the last year. And I found it really interesting because, yeah, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we've been told about, um, about when is the right time to exercise. But before we get to that, though, I've got two mm-hmm. things, two, two right. things I want to say. The first is um, we've got a bloody great storm um, that's just appeared on the horizon at the moment. So, you know, if you hear any delightful thunder or pelting rain. That's what's going on in the background there. So we're not going to blame the neighbours this week. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The joys of living in a huge city um, underneath the flight path, which, you know, maybe the storm will stop the planes for a little bit. In La Nina. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of of La Nina 3.0. I mean, if you're listening from overseas, you must just be like, what? (laughs) What is going on in that country? And look, we're asking the same questions. Yes. (laughs) I I believe it it all leads back to climate change. I think that's that's the answer. Um, The other reminder is that uh, this is your annual reminder as we head into the warmer months not to give a shit about getting your summer bod ready. You might start seeing this kind of advertising ramp up on your social (laughs) media. You might see targeted advertising for sort of diet pills or diets or exercise programs, um, all in the name of making you feel shit about yourself so you do something about your beach bod. Um, if you're listening to this in the Northern Hemisphere, just make a note to, to re-listen to this episode in, in about six months' time when it starts getting warm for you. Um, but over the weekend, I went to see my gorgeous sister-in-law, Elle, perform. She's a cellist. Um, and one of the women in her ensemble also listens to Wiley. And, and after the show, I you know, went up and had a chat. And um, this friend of Elle said uh, she, she basically told me it was my fault that she was stiff and sore because she'd just done a Pilates session the day before after listening to our podcast. She called, she accused me of being an exercise pusher, <laughs> which, you know, which I was is, horrified. <laughs> I, I also, like, seriously, that's going to be the first time in your life. Right? <laughs> that anyone would ever accuse me of, uh, of being an exercise pusher. So, yeah, so she accused me of being an exercise pusher and, and obviously she was being completely darling about it. But she'd done this Pilates session the day before and, and yeah, was super stiff and sore. And then, you know, had to perform this amazing concert, you know, like wielding a cello, sitting on a chair. Hey, it's such a <laughs> it's such a physical type of performance as well. Yes, yes. And, you know, so that kind of got me thinking, You know, obviously there is pressure at this time of year to start, you know, slimming down for summer. Um, And and also 
because our motivation to exercise can be so fickle, you know, it just appears randomly out of nowhere and we think, oh my God, I finally got some some motivation to do something. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll dive straight into, straight into this, you know, huge workout sesh or this, you know, 45 minute run or, you know, something. And we just kind of, we do too much too soon a lot of the time because we get more excited about the fact that we're like randomly motivated. And, and so I guess that kind of blocks our ability to to think logically about uh, what we should be starting off with when that motivation does hit. And I'm definitely not accusing Elle's beautiful friend of this, but I just know that in myself, I'm certainly guilty of that. I, I was going to say, you can accuse me of it if that, <laughs> if, if that helps because I am, I've fallen for that hook, line and sinker many a time. Yeah, and I guess it's just a bit of a reset moment that, you know, if, if motivation does strike, um, just also be mindful of if you do have a big performance or something big at work or in life happening in a couple of days' time, you you got to be sensible about what you're going to do in terms of your exercise because if it's something that you haven't done for a long time or ever, you're going to be sore oh, and yes. you, need, you need that time to recover. And so you're not necessarily going to be at your, you know, feeling your mm. physical best then to tackle this big life event if you've totally worn yourself out, you know, doing something wild that you've not done for yes. a long time. Oh my God. How, yeah. How frustrating is it to have that delayed onset muscle soreness when you haven't necessarily factored it in? <laughs> well, you don't, because I never do. Like I get so excited in the moment and I'll be so excited, you know, the first sort of 10 minutes into a, into a session of some sort thinking I'm finally doing it. I'm exercising. Look at me go. I mean, you know, 10 minutes later, it's a different story when you're just like, <laughs> God, this is why I hate exercise. But you kind of get so um, buzzed and obviously an endorphin rush and a dopamine hit that, that, yeah, you don't think about the consequences of your actions and there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just, yeah, again, another reminder as we head into the summer months and we start thinking about spending more time pool or beachside or even just more time in less clothing that might show a little bit more skin, it can be really daunting if you're not feeling good about your body. So firstly, fuck that. Um, Your body (laughs) is an incredible piece of biology that is full of insanely complex and sophisticated operating systems that Sarah outlines outlines to us every single week. So, you know, give it some damn credit. Um, And secondly, resist the urge to throw yourself into something hell for leather in order to get that quick fix for the silly season if you haven't already been exercising regularly up till now. Remember to start slow build slow, build your confidence and your fitness first. And as my brother AJ said to us on the pod earlier this year, slow before fast, stable before unstable, light before heavy, double before single. And what he means by double before single is master a double leg squat first, which is infinitely more stable than if you tried to go straight into like a single leg squat or something a bit more complex. Mm. Start it slow. Beautiful. When you said hell for leather then before, I was like, who's wearing leather in summer? <laughs> All right. Never mind. Never mind. It's, it's been a big week. <laughs> already. Already it's been a big week. <laughs> All right. So let's talk uh, why you are allowed to do some exercise after eating, uh, which, yeah, is counterintuitive to what we've been told for most of our life. Uh, there's this great article in the New York Times about the benefits of walking after meals. Um, the article's called Just Two Minutes of Walking After a Meal is Surprisingly Good for You. I also heard um, Huberman talk about this on the Huberman Lab podcast a while ago. He refers to walks after meals as glucose clearing. 
And yeah, it does seem counterintuitive um, because, you know, we've always been told that you need to wait several hours after eating before you exercise so you don't, you know, you feel awful or interfere with your digestion. Or, you know, I've all, I was always told as a kid, if you swim too soon after eating that you'll sink to the bottom of the pool. Did you ever did you oh, ever say that to you? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I grew up with a with a mum who uh, who is not a natural swimmer and we had a uh, we had a swimming pool and so there was a very fierce time clock yes. going before you were ever allowed near the pool I after you had, had these images had of lunch. like all these children <laughs> being like with like their lunch oh in their stomach just oh sinking gosh, to the bottom of the pool. So morbid. That's a, very grim, grim picture you paint. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so Sarah, yes. talk us through why it's actually a good thing to get up and move around after you eat. Well, look, I would probably preface this by saying that what we're about to talk about today is is different to engaging in, you know, significantly high intensity exercise after a really big meal. So we're not talking about having, you know, having a really big lunch and then two minutes later, you know, hitting the gym and doing a 45 minute hit session. <laughs> I mean, that would never happen anyway for me. No. But, but thank you and for practicing that. <laughs> and that's, you know, that is when we're going to get into those issues with diversion of blood flow, you know, from the heart and lungs to the gut and vice versa, where we can definitely get into issues if we're exercising too quickly on, on the heels of a big meal. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about today is that New York Times article that referenced a meta-analysis which was published in the journal Sports Medicine. This meta-analysis looked at the results of seven studies that compared the effects of sitting versus standing or walking on measures of heart health, including insulin and blood sugars. And the results showed that light walking after a meal, so we're talking for as little as two to five minutes, had a significant impact on moderating blood sugar levels. And so when these participants in the study went for a short walk after a meal, their blood sugar levels rose and fell more gradually. Standing also helped lower blood sugar levels, but walking was considered to be more beneficial. Yeah, that's that's wild. Two to five minutes. I know is all it takes. Yeah, so we're not saying you know you got to you know eat eat dinner and then head outside and you know hit the hit the walking path for forty five minutes. It's no it's just something very small and actually quite achievable. Yeah. Um. But I guess taking it back a step, what's actually happening to the body after we eat? Right. So after we have a meal, there is a rise in blood glucose levels, which results in simultaneous insulin secretion from the pancreas. Now, as we know, insulin lowers blood glucose levels as glucose is driven from that extracellular circulation, so driven from your blood, into the cells for use. And it also causes glucose to be sent to the liver to be stored as glycogen. Then during the next few hours when your blood glucose concentration falls, the liver releases that glucose back into the blood to decrease those fluctuations. So as you can guess, having a healthy liver certainly helps with this process. If your blood sugars start to become low, that is sensed by the hypothalamus, which is a structure deep in your brain, which leads to the activation of your sympathetic nervous system to start to maintain those normal glucose levels and avoid severe hypoglycemia. So hypoglycemia is when we've got severely low blood sugar levels. Wow. And so that actually stimulates the hypothalamus. Like mm. you, you start basically going into sort of like a... Well, yeah, your hypothalamus will, will kind of get a sense of the fact that the sugars are low and, and that will stimulate your, your sympathetic nervous system to kick in. Wow. And is that the same kind of 
nervous system that would kick in with like your fight or flight or freeze mm-hmm. responses. Yep. Is, is that what we're talking about? So you're literally putting your body under stress when, yep. when your blood sugars dip too low. Yeah. And, and I mean, it all depends on the, I guess, on, on how dramatic those, those changes are. Yeah. I think I had that recently after my glucose tolerance test, but anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Look, you are you're taking the words out of my mouth, my love. Yeah. Well, let's get to that. So so I guess why do we want to avoid those sharp spikes or crashes in, in blood sugar levels? What can go wrong? So look, some people can experience a condition called reactive hypoglycemia or sometimes called postprandial syndrome. So reactive hypoglycemia, meaning that, you know, this is not a true hypoglycemia like we might see in a type 1 diabetic that's had too much insulin and they've got very, very, very low blood le- low blood sugar levels. Um, and, and postprandial syndrome, postprandial just means after eating. But this is this will occur when there's a significant drop in blood sugar after a meal. That's that's the crash. It typically occurs about two to four hours after eating. And whilst the exact mechanisms are unclear, it seems that people who have insulin resistance or prediabetes are a bit more prone to it. Oh. Drinking alcohol on an empty stomach or eating foods, you know, high in simple sugars can be a trigger for some. And uh, yeah, I've definitely had patients who've experienced this after their glucose tolerance tests, whether that's their glucose tolerance test in pregnancy or if they're having a glucose tolerance test for for other reasons, for diagnosis of diabetes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, it is a glucose load that you're taking in a glucose tolerance test. You're getting, you are getting the highest glycemic index oh. little <laughs> hit to your uh, hit to your blood glucose and hit to your pancreas to produce insulin. Yeah. So this can result in feeling a bit dizzy, lightheaded, you might have some cravings for sugary treats, you could get headaches, shaking, trembling, feel a bit sweaty and and clammy. Um you might feel some nausea, you might feel a bit irritable or weak. This is all via the activation of your sympathetic nervous system. And you are absolutely right, Gab. You'll remember that our sympathetic nervous system is best known for its role in responding to dangerous and stressful situations. The body does not like to have low glucose because wow. we we need it for survival. So if you've if you've suddenly got low glucose or even relatively low glucose, so it may not, if we were to do a, a blood sugar test at that point, the sugars may still be within that that four to six level that we consider okay. But if you are often running with high sugar levels and then it drops dramatically down to, to four, that will definitely activate that <gasps> sympathetic nervous system. That is so crazy. Man, so, we're talking about talking about sophisticated internal systems in our biology. This is one of them. Sophisticated. <laughs> yes. So aside from settings like that glucose tolerance test, you know, I'll see this happening in patients with insulin resistance who've maybe had, you know, a high glycemic index lunch. Um, and then a few hours later in the mid-afternoon, they feel like they just must have something else to eat. Yep. Stat to yep. combat those those really unpleasant symptoms. And as you can imagine, this can become a vicious cycle where you're constantly switching between sugar levels that are slightly too high to sugar levels that are slightly too too low. And uh, and this can increase your risk of developing type 2 diabetes because you are putting your body into a stress reaction. Wow. So ultimately, I mean, there are, there are a lot of contributing factors and, and I'm certainly simplifying things, but modifying the diet to include more low GI foods, so you know, thinking complex carbohydrates. So thinking, you know, wholemeal, wholemeal 
bread over white bread, brown rice over white rice, spelt pasta over white pasta. These sorts of changes can certainly lessen these abrupt um, fluctuations in blood glucose levels and reduce the likelihood of developing insulin resistance and diabetes in the future. And, uh, and look, we always bring it back to exercise. Exercising regularly, as we know, helps to increase cellular sugar uptake, which decreases excessive insulin release. So if we're getting less fluctuations up and less fluctuations down, you, you will feel significantly better and, and there'll be less risk of developing you know, insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes down the way. Yeah, so just taking it back to... Um some of those symptoms that you mentioned before, um, could that be like for some people maybe the the first warning signs if they're starting to have those those reactions after like you know two to four hours after a meal that all of a sudden they're they're starving yeah, and you abs- know like could, could yeah. that be actually maybe a, a warning sign that that maybe they're not able to regulate absolutely. their blood sugar levels? Yeah, look, absolutely. So it it could be look, it could be an opportunity just to have a little bit of a, a rethink of your diet. And I'm certainly not here to demonize any foods. You know, all food is just food. There is no judgment when it comes to foods. But if you are starting to get some of these types of symptoms, it, it's certainly helpful to have a bit of a, a look to see whether you are eating enough of those low GI foods and, and kind of limiting the high GI foods because it will absolutely have an impact on your blood sugar and insulin levels. And for sure, if you know if you modify your diet, because for a lot of people, if they do, these symptoms will abate. If you modify your diet, but you're still experiencing these crashes, then absolutely get on the blower, make an appointment with your GP and, uh, and have a chat to them about the possibility of insulin resistance being an issue for you. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so then bringing this to exercise and obviously this awesome article that we are referencing from the yes. New York Times, um, I guess what are the protocols that they outline for walking after meals in order to regulate your blood sugar levels? And again, you know, you, you mentioned a few of these before. We're not talking about, you know, a 45-minute hit session after eating. So, no, so, no, so what are the, exactly. what are the actual this protocols? Is, this where- is definitely not about going for an hour-long run a minute after a bowl of carbonara. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, just imagine. Exactly. No, look, these are, these are really – actually, these are pretty simple things and these, you know, this does not require a lot of time commitment from you. So if you're, you know, if you're scoffing down your lunch and you don't have much time for for exercise afterwards in your busy day, we're talking a little bit of light walking or things like, you know, some household chores if you happen to be, you know, working from home or you're home with the kids. It only needs to be about two to 10 minutes in duration. And ideally, if you can take that walk within about 60 to 90 minutes of eating, um, mini walks might be more practical during a work day. So things like walking to go and get a cup of coffee or walking around the block in between video meetings or seeing if you can take the opportunity to walk to and from getting lunch. And if you're unable to go for mini walks, then even just standing can help because it's certainly better than sitting for, you know, for, for this purpose. Um, and look, walking is definitely going to be the better option. But if you can literally get those little micro moments of exercise in, particularly that 60 to 90 minutes after eating, it can have a really potent effect on your on your glycemic control. Yes. And I think also what's good about this is it's good to know that there's something proactive you can do if you have eaten something really heavy or a bit intense. Um, and, and yeah, you, you just, just treated just, yourself ooh. to an 
big old slab of custard tart, <laughs> you know, for afternoon tea. I mean, life is short. You need to enjoy you need to the, eat the custard tart. Yeah, exactly. But if you know that you are potentially, you know, prone to some fluctuations, then you know, follow up your little treat just with a little light walking. It doesn't have to be much. You don't need to feel guilty about it. This is not exercising so you can eat special yes. foods. It's just about, you know, it's just about putting in place some some really simple little protocols to help your long-term health. Yes. There um and look, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, especially in terms of the diabetes episode, um, about how 30 minutes of moderate to high intensity physical activity can help regulate insulin sensitivity for up to 24 hours, which is incredible. And that's Mm -hmm. obviously a big plus for for why we should be trying to get that 22 to 44 um, minutes a day if we can. But I also should stress, and we've said this a few times already, that level of intensity is when that's when you'd need to wait two to yes. three hours after eating. You don't you exactly. don't get that straight exactly. after eating. Yep. I, I loved this quote um, from one of the experts quoted in the article, Dr. Kershaw Patel, who's a preventative cardiologist. He says the benefits of physical activity are never all or nothing, but instead exist on a continuum. It's a gradual effect of more activity, better health. Each incremental step each incremental stand or brisk walk appears to have a benefit. And I just love that so much because then looping that back to my chat at the start of this episode about um, Elle's cello friend, Cello, who's, uh, who accused me of being the exercise pusher. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's just a, just a beautiful reminder that all of these little bits of movement throughout the day, these little two to five to ten minute you know, mini walks. Um, if you can get your 22 in in one batch, awesome. Like all of this adds up over time. It's 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 compound interest for your future health. It's 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 not an all or nothing approach. It's not a I, I must smash out the Pilates session or the 45 minute hit session or I've failed, um, or you know, or 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 I shouldn't do anything at all because it's not worth it. All of this exists on a continuum, yep. heading in every, one direction. Every little bit in the middle counts. Yes. So, um, yeah, two to five minute walk. I, that's pretty. That's pretty achievable for an exercise sloth. I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I and I and I'm going to at the very least when I get back from uh, from having a quick lunch break. At the very least, I'm going to actually use my standing desk yes. to stand at for at the minimum the first consult after lunch. Oh, that's great. And so that's that's easy and achievable because you remember if you take this right, right back to like our very first episodes of how to build an exercise habit, it doesn't actually exercise, exercising regularly doesn't work on motivation alone because motivation wanes. It doesn't work on goal setting alone because, you know, again, goals are sort of intangible, fluffy things off in the distance. And yep. if we don't and reach them. Yeah. If we don't reach them, we feel like crap. And if we do reach them, then we don't know what to do next. <laughs> we just stop because, we're, cool, got it. Anyway, that was awful. Next. Um, and so it's all about bringing it back to just starting something that you can do a little bit of every single day. And and so the two-minute hack is a really great way to kind of start a habit and maintain a habit. And so if, this, if your two-minute hack, your two-minute habit is to literally get up and go for a two-minute walk after you eat lunch or dinner, like you know, it doesn't have to be every meal. We don't have to get extreme about this, even if it's just after the dinner meal or after lunch. That's that's more than you were doing before, right? So even if it's just getting up and going for that two-minute walk and trying to do that as many times across a week as you can, that's it, baby. That's it. 
That's it. Each incremental step, each incremental stand or brisk walk appears to have a benefit. Appears to have a benefit. I love how scientific that is too. Appears (laughs) to have a benefit. (laughs) Appears. May. May. Can. Possibly. (laughs) Has been shown too. Ah, I love it. podcast is produced by me gab burke and music is by hamish cavallari please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womenlikeyoupodcast.com i'm sarah and i'm gab and what are we talking about next week no idea come on producer extraordinaire <laughs> give it to me <laughs> making this shit up as i come along you know oh my god just uh, when you were talking about um, the glucose tolerance test which i did do recently and you know, very thankfully, very luckily, everything's all fine, all looking good. Uh, oh, God, it was hideous. Like, you yeah. reminded me of just how gross that sugar drink is. If you've never done one, it's like, think about the most sugary soft drink you've ever had and then multiply that by. Yeah. I often by warn 10. people that it's just like, it's just like downing a cup of undiluted cordial. Yes. Um, oh, but without the, like, the raspberry the, flavor. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, nobody, nobody loves it. The, the most diehard sugar fan in the world will struggle with a glucose tolerance test. Oh, um, and I remember that uh, in in an effort not to frighten you before your glucose tolerance test, it was afterwards. I was like, how did you feel afterwards? You're like, I felt like rubbish. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> just, sorry. Just awful. On behalf of the medical fraternity, I'm sorry <laughs> that the tests we still have to use are sometimes really awful. I mean, it's necessary. It's a necessary thing. Uh, so it's yeah, a necessary prepare yourself if you ever need to do one of these or if you're you know worried about your sugar levels and you want to go get a a glucose tolerance test just to see how you're tracking just Mm. prepare yourself mentally for the most disgusting drink yeah and and you you may you may well get a little bit of a uh, postprandial syndrome or a uh, functional hypoglycemic episode afterwards so maybe you know pop a little muesli bar in your in your bag so that you've got something after the test has finished please don't eat during your test after the <laughs> test has finished um if you are feeling a little shaky anyway i'm uh, off to have have dinner and then um go for a two-minute walk well i guess i actually have some work to do this afternoon so i will put my standing desk up yay oh my god i did i forked out the money for that standing desk and I can, I can count on one hand how many, how many times, times how many times I've stood at it. But I, I must I must remember that walking is better than standing, but standing is better than nothing. Exactly. Boom. And that's Boom. a wrap. That's a wrap, my love. I love you. I love you too. Have a wonderful week. You too. Mwah. Bye. Bye. Big name in the water.